Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there and welcome back. This week, we are going to come to the heart of Jesus's message and his purpose, his mission. So stay with me. You know, my purpose in this walk through the Bible is to keep reminding you of the story that you're reading, the story behind all the stories, and to bring out little pieces of information to just affirm to you how accurate and how true your Bible is. So I want to welcome all the newcomers that are just starting with us to walk through the New Testament together, and a warm welcome to all of you who have been with us for months now as we walk through the Old Testament, beginning now with the New. I invite you, please invite your family and your friends on this journey with us. Um, please subscribe to this channel, but forward this to your family and friends. Invite them to go on this trek with you through the pages of the New Testament. Now, uh, this week we are reading in the Daily Bible the dates of October 22nd through the 28th. That's also pages 1364 to 1394. Now let's review last week. Last week we talked about that intertestamental period rich in history that set the stage for the beginning of the New Testament. And then we began reading the New Testament, this amazing story of the birth of the forerunner, John the Baptist, and then the birth of Jesus from the lineage of David in fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and to David. What a wonderful story. Now, at the end of last week, we also heard how that Herod the Great, um, or we read about how that Herod the Great got paranoid and uh, because of these visiting magi, and uh, he knew that there was one had been born king of the Jews. And um, so he orders the murder of all the children in Bethlehem. Now, this story, while we don't have any uh, uh, sources outside of the Bible that corroborate this story, it is so in keeping with who Herod the Great was. He was an extremely paranoid man that in the end, he killed his wife, his favorite wife, I should say, and his two sons because he was afraid that they were going to try to kill him and take the throne. And it's all paranoid. So this story is so like Herod the Great. But I want to take a minute and just mention to you about these visiting magi and who were they? And if you were with us during the Old Testament reading in the book of Daniel, we saw how that Daniel, this Hebrew uh, man, a descendant of Israel, a worshiper of the God of Israel, Daniel, a Hebrew, was put over all the wise men of Babylon. And then Daniel was still in place when the Persian Empire took over Babylon. So uh, Daniel more than likely taught the wise men of the east of Babylon and Persia about the Hebrew prophecies, about the promises of God to send a Messiah, and of the signs in the heavens that he 
thought would take place. And they had passed it down. So um, it's really in keeping with our story that these magi did know about this tradition of a star that would arise. And so they came following it. Um, you know, many times in our Christmas pageants, we have the the three wise men there with the baby Jesus and the animals in the manger and the petting zoo and all of that. Well, honestly, by the time the Magi got to the baby Jesus, he was a toddler uh, because in the story, uh, the, the Greek word used for the baby is toddler. So he was probably as old as two years old when they came. And that's why Herod the Great ordered the, the murder of all the babies two years and less. Um, so Joseph and Mary take the baby Jesus and they flee to Egypt. Well, this story is very highly likely. Why? Because there was a large Jewish community in Egypt and they had been there for hundreds of years. They had first gone there when they were fleeing the Assyrian takeover of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. And then when the Babylonians came in, more fled down uh, into Egypt. So there were large communities there. G uh, Joseph and Mary would have just found, who knows, maybe relatives that were there, but for sure a Jewish community that would welcome them in and help them to be settled during their time there. And if you go to Egypt today, which I was just there a few years ago, we visited the ancient church that is built over an area where the tradition is uh, there in Egypt, that that's where uh, Joseph and Mary lived. And uh, they can show you a map of different things that Joseph and Mary, uh, whereas they may have moved around within the Jewish community there in Egypt. These are traditions. Uh, we don't have it in the Bible, but nevertheless, there are probably um, a lot of truth in them. And it's very interesting to go to these places and to realize that you're standing near the place uh, where so much history took place and where Joseph and Mary may have taken refuge. Of course, once they find out that Herod the Great has died, then they return to the land and they make their way up to Nazareth. And so Jesus grows up in Nazareth. We don't know much about his childhood. Um, so our, our first story is, of course, when they take him to the temple and um, he stays behind. He's about 12 years old. He stays behind and they, they lose him. They come and they find him uh, debating with the rabbis and the teachers of the law there. And that was the first indication that, you know, there's, there's um, something here. And, um, but I think that there was a lot of indications within the family home about Jesus, who he was, and his power. Why do I say that? Because the Bible doesn't tell us that. Um, because his first miracle in the Bible is the wedding at Cana. We all know it. Um, Mary says, you know, they're, they're, they're running out of wine. And a marriage at that time, it was kind of like a week-long event. And everyone came there. They had to be fed, you know, the two, three meals a day and wine and beverage. And it was a big celebration for days. And so at this particular wedding, they ran out of wine. And that's just a terrible thing in a, in a society based on hospitality. 
Um, it, it's hard for us as Americans maybe to relate to just how serious this incident was, and it had to be solved. They had to bring in more wine for the guests. And uh, what's so telling in this story is that Mary knew what Jesus could do. So she tells the servants there, do whatever he tells you to do. And, um, and so how did she know except Maybe he'd done it in the home. He had done things in the home, uh, so she knew. She knew his power and what he was able to do. And sure enough, um, he saves the wedding, and he turns the water into wine. And this is known as the first recorded uh, miracle of Jesus. Then Jesus moves his home base away from Nazareth down to the Sea of Galilee, to a town named, we pronounce it, Capernaum. Now, in Hebrew, it is Kafar Nahum, which means a village of comfort. Nahum is the word for comfort. And, you know, there's so many beautiful promises in the Old Testament about that God would comfort his people. And uh, so this is the village of comfort. This is another village that was founded during the Hasmonean period when they were resettling the Galilee. So Capernaum was a Jewish village, and Jesus made it his hometown. as right there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And um, I believe Matthew, the tax collector, lived in Capernaum, and also Simon Peter's mother-in-law, lived in Capernaum. We have the story that uh, Jesus spoke in the synagogue there in Capernaum, and then when he left the synagogue, they went to the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law and found her sick with fever, and Jesus healed uh, the mother-in-law. When you go with me to Israel, and I hope that you all will, and I hope that you'll go down in today's show notes, and you will uh, click the link to our tour interest list. Sign up. Let us know you're interested in going. We don't yet have dates or an exact package together. When we have one, we'll send it to you, but we'd like to know who you are, and I hope that you'll all be able to go with me. We'll go to Capernaum for sure, and we will see... There is a synagogue, and it was a, it's a synagogue that was built in the 4th century, but it's over the top of the remains of the 1st century synagogue that Jesus would have stood in. And you can see the dark basalt stones of the 1st century synagogue, and then on top of it are the uh, lighter stones of the 4th century synagogue. And when the 4th century synagogue was built... It seems like it was built more for Christian tourism uh, to the area, uh, yes, even in the 4th century, and um, because they built the synagogue slightly askew from the 1st century foundations. It's just a hair off. And why did they do that? So that the 4th century synagogue is facing straight at the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And um, and they're pretty sure that this is the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Why? Because, I mean, when we go there, we're just looking at stone foundations of what they know was a housing complex. But this particular home 
had been uh, preserved as it was. It had been plastered over a number of times, which means that for, you know, a couple hundred years or so, they were maintaining this home. It was a special place, and they kept it up. But the threshold has a broken stone, and they never replaced it. Why would that be? Why would they fix up a place but not replace the broken stone? Because it could be Jesus himself stood on that stone when he entered the home. And um, on the plaster walls, when they removed, they found uh, in earlier layers graffiti there with the name of Jesus and other Christian terminology. So um, the early, um, when when the Roman Empire became Christian in the 4th century, uh, the mother of Constantine went to the Holy Land. She researched where these places were. They built churches over these places. And tradition was that this was the home of the mother-in-law, so they built a church over it. Um, now today, of course, any church that was built in the 4th century is not standing more than likely. So uh, there is a more modern church that's been built over it, but they built it up like on stilts so that underneath you, you see all the stones and you can go up in the church. They have a, a see-through uh, floor so you can look down at the stones of the home. Uh, more than likely, it really is uh, the place. So I want you to go with me and see these places for yourself. That's the city of Capernaum that Jesus made as his hometown. Now, speaking of synagogues and first century synagogues, uh, we read this week that Jesus went throughout the whole region teaching in the synagogues. And so there has been a first century synagogue uncovered very close to Capernaum, right on the seas, uh, the shores of the Sea of Galilee, in the town of Magdala. And this would be the town where Mary Magdalene was from, Magdala. And there they uncovered, just in the last 20 years, a first century synagogue. This one is so exciting to go to. You can go and you'll see the actual floor of the first century synagogue where Jesus, we feel confident he stood there in that synagogue and taught. And um, so you can see it, you can take pictures of the floor. Very special to be there. Uh, this week we also read a story where Jesus went to Jerusalem and he carried out a healing there. And it's a very important story, so I want to highlight it. You're, you're, of course, you're going to read a lot of stories this week. And they're all great. So, uh, but this one I want to point out to you. And it's the healing of the lame man that was at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. And um, there was a tradition that the waters would stir and that the, an angel was stirring the waters. And when they stirred the waters, if you got in them first, uh, you could be healed. And so this lame man had laid there for many years because he could never get into the water in time to experience the healing. Now, this story is kind of odd because um, it doesn't sound like the God of Israel um, to use an angel to stir up the waters uh, for healing. Um, so there's a, a couple of possibilities here. That it could be that this was a, a place that was that the pagans taught that. 
And um, it is also possible that this is a place where the waters would, bo would uh, come up, not because of an angel, but because of the tides and the tide levels and the water levels underground, and that it would bubble up at times and come up. Uh, nevertheless, the story is that this is what they were told, that it was because an angel was stirring the waters. This man could not be healed. And uh, even though it was the Sabbath that Jesus healed him. And then there's this great debate that takes place with the rabbis over Jesus doing this. And they the scribes question him about this healing. And so I want to bring it up because um, Jesus did not break the laws of Sabbath as written in the Old Testament and as given to Moses on Sinai. What Jesus had broken was a rabbinic ruling about how to observe the Sabbath. Obviously, a rabbinic ruling that he didn't agree with. Um, but Jesus observed all the laws. He was a an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. He observed all the laws. If he had broken the laws, he would not have qualified to have been Messiah. So it's important that we understand this. The difference between the actual laws as given at Sinai and the many traditions of the rabbis over the centuries of how to observe those laws. Well, what is the definition of work? What is the, you know, what about if you uh, walk three miles to a synagogue? That's kind of work, isn't it? Is that too far? So how far can you walk to synagogue? All of these laws and that's what Jesus had uh, broken at times in the, uh, in the Gospels. Now, he told the man that, um, you know, that his sins were forgiven. And the scribes questioned his authority to heal sins because this was considered blasphemy. This was claiming to be God if you were claiming that you could forgive sins. So Jesus said, well, what's the difference in saying be healed or be, you know, forgiven of your sins? So there's some debate amongst skeptics, and they'll claim that Jesus never claimed to be divine. He never claimed to be God. But actually, Jesus did through his actions and through his words, and the Jewish people around him knew when he was claiming divinity. But we in the 21st century, we read these things and we don't quite understand the Old Testament background, what they believed about uh, God. And when they accused Jesus of blasphemy, it's because what he had done and said was a claim of divinity. So be very clear um, about that. Um, and then the other thing about Jesus wasn't just that he forgave sins, but they said he taught with authority. He wasn't just a teacher. And this is another thing people will try to claim, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. I agree with Jesus's teachings, but I just don't believe, you know, that he was divine. Well, Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. Jesus taught with authority as the one who had written the laws in the first place, as the one who had created these things in the first place. He spoke with the authority of God, and this is what really astounded the people. Speaking of his teaching, we do need to talk this week about the Sermon on the Mount. 
you're going to read it. Listen, it's beautiful teachings that really get to what I call the heart of the matter. I have heard some people say that Jesus brought a whole new set of ethics, a whole new set of morality, that the Sermon on the Mount is the replacement of the Old Testament law, that it's just all new. And um, it was all based on love and peace. Well, we when you read the Sermon on the Mount this week, I want you to be uh, cognizant of the context of the Sermon of the Mount and what's going on here. First of all, Jesus is not in any way disagreeing with any of the laws of Moses. Instead, Jesus is describing the actual original intent of the law of Moses, the heart of the matter, the heart and the soul of the law of Moses. Remember, we said that the word law actually is better translated instruction, and the law was there as an instruction. It wasn't just rote commandments. It was there to teach us. It was there to reveal to us something. And God, uh, Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is revealing the heart of the law. He's bringing the people back down to the heart of the matter, not to disagree with, but to elaborate on, to clarify it. Also, Jesus is speaking within a certain context here of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is some some call it the most brutal empire in history. It was a brutal, pagan, godless empire. And in the face of that great empire, here are the little Jewish people in their land, just wanting to be free, just wanting to be able to obey their God, to live their lives. And they're under the oppressive yoke of the Roman Empire and the Romans are not just brutal, but they are taxing them to the hilt. They are paying so many taxes. And so the people want freedom from this. You and I would want freedom from this. We would be yearning for the Messiah to come and overthrow Roman rule. That's where the people were. That's what they were waiting for. That's what they were praying for. That's what they were crying out for. And in this context, Jesus is saying to them, look at the heart of the law. Look at the, check your heart. Not that he was opposed to confronting Rome, but he knew now was not the time. Jesus knew that his mission was to reveal the Father to his people, to reveal the heart of the matter to his people, and to pay the price for their sins. That was his mission. When he returns, he's going to deal with all the Roman empires in the world, and you can be certain of that. So today, some people try to depict Jesus as this pacifist that is against any kind of political engagement or opposing the evil empires, and that is really not the case. Jesus knew that was not the time for it. And he knew how sensitive the situation was. And with the slightest, the slightest hint of him being Messiah could spark off the zealots and a, a revolt that could bring the Roman Empire down on the people. He knew how sensitive it was. 
And his mission at the moment was to reveal the Father's heart to the people and to pay for their sins. So he didn't bring a whole new ethic. He didn't bring a whole new set of teachings. And he wasn't saying that all for all of history now, we're just to give in to those over us, that we are to be non-political, that we are to be pacifist. Uh, that was the prescription for the moment at that time. Now, um, it was not, I want to say something else. Many times in um, our teachings and our sermons, we have this idea that the Jewish people were in error because they were looking for that Messiah to free them from Roman rule. They were looking for someone to come and establish the throne of David, which means to reestablish sovereignty over the Jewish people, that there would be a Jewish king over them, that there would be a, a descendant of the house of David over them. That's what they were yearning for. And that's not wrong. We, we try to portray that as wrong, that Jesus came to say, no, that's wrong. It's all about a heavenly spiritual kingdom. And that's not completely accurate. Even Mary, uh, even Gabriel, I should say, told Mary, and I want to quote it here to you in Luke 1, verses 32 to 33, the, Gabriel, uh, the angel Gabriel said, The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So this is what they were expecting. This is what God had promised, was someone to sit on the throne of David over the people of Israel, the house of Jacob. So it wasn't wrong to expect that. Jesus just knew that this wasn't the time, that this was going to happen later. No one understood this. Even his disciples didn't understand this. And they were with him and listened to all of his teaching. And in after Jesus' death and resurrection, when we get to Acts, we're going to talk about this again. But at the very beginning of Acts, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he has spent 40 days teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And what is the burning question on their hearts? This is their last question to Jesus. Are you now going to establish the kingdom of Israel? This is what they knew was going to happen. This is what they were expecting. And Jesus did not rebuke them. He didn't tell them they were wrong at all. He said, now is not the time. It's like, now you shouldn't, you're not going to know the timing of the Father. Now is the time for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and go out to the nations and make disciples of all nations. That's what the time is now. So is there to be a physical return of Jesus to the earth, to a physical Jerusalem? Yes. And to set up a physical throne of the house of David? That's what the whole Old Testament is pointing us to. And that's what I believe that we're going to see uh, hinted at even in the New Testament. So Jesus is not here to confront Rome. and uh, But when he returns, we read, uh, Jesus says that when the Son of Man returns in his glory, he will gather all the nations before him and he will separate the sheep from the goats. And he will cast into fire the goats 
We'll read that when we get to it uh, in Matthew. But believe me, Jesus is going to deal with the nations. And it's just at his second coming. All right, so that finishes us up for this week's reading. I have two resources for you I want to point you to. I recommend if you'd like to hear more about Jesus's childhood in Nazareth and his ministry there in Galilee, that once again, you go to the 3D Jesus series that I have. I link to it down in today's show notes. Uh, Episode one and two we talked about last week. Episode three and four deal with his childhood and his ministry there in Capernaum and in the Galilee. If you'd like to learn more, please listen to those uh, this week. Also, we have an exciting DVD that I want to tell you about. We also link to in our show notes. It is produced by our good friends at the Christian Broadcasting Network, CBN, and it's called Written in Stone, Jesus of Nazareth. And it goes through some of these locations and shows you the life and ministry of Jesus and some of the places that we're going to be talking about and that it took place. Very, very low-priced little DVD. I recommend you get it today. We'll link to it in today's show notes. So um, I hope you enjoy this week's reading. So many stories, so many things that Jesus did and said. Let the Holy Spirit just lift it off the pages into your heart and speak to you today from the life and ministry of Jesus. I'll see you back here next week. And until then, God bless. If this is the first time you've listened to the Out of Zion podcast and our Walk Through the Bible series, you'd like to join us, please download our New Testament reading guide so that you can be reading along with us each week as we are walking through the pages of the New Testament. Go to outofzionshow.com and request your New Testament reading guide. Do it today, and we'll see you back here next week. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.